On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Ty Spano. He is the CISO at Verso. We're going to be talking about MPP-driven process development. Now, Ty is a security professional, and obviously, as a security exec, he's going to have that perspective. But I think this episode is going to be interesting because a lot of the, the, the conversation will be uh, transferable across different pillars of technology. We're going to be talking about you know, how do you drive change, but also understanding the impact on people. Um, from the security perspective, we're going to be touching on making sure um, security is set up uh, for success when you leave, because obviously you're not always going to do that job forever. Ty, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Amir. Uh, yeah, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm currently the Chief Information Security Officer at Vercel. Uh, I also do IT, privacy, a little bit of legal, so I play kind of a mini CIO at times. Uh, but what does Vercel do? We are basically the best way for engineering teams to deliver wonderful front-end experiences. And also, we got some edgeware and a lot of cool things happening. But simply put, we do this thing. It's develop, preview, and ship. And we actually just make faster deployment cycles. And it's a, it's a fascinating company. I've been here about six months. But like the future of the web, for me, feels very bright. And it's a big part of why I joined. I've been in software security for Uh, The majority of my career, uh, 17 years, really focused on how do you embed security touch points within the development process. What's great about this company, we're shortcutting a lot of that and eliminating a lot of security gaps, vulnerabilities for front-end sites or websites that are out there. So you can't even do some of these exploits given some of the framework, the sandboxing approach, and a lot of the native JS and React components. Uh, but it's all on the predicate of front-end JS frameworks, Next.js being the main one, which is what our founder, Guillermo Rauch, established, uh, and then ultimately we grew up. The cool thing, we treat all JS frameworks, not all of them, the majority of front-end frameworks as first-class citizens, and we allow you to choose what's best to deploy through Vercel. Awesome, man. Sounds like an uh, uh, exciting uh, time. I'm sure you know, lots of engineers out there will have heard about Next.js, so I'm sure they will... Uh be curious what else is going on at Vercel um, outside of that. But I guess, you know, the topic we're going to be talking about, um, empathy-driven process development. Uh, again, I, you know, you're a security professional, you're a security executive, so obviously we're coming from that perspective. I think a lot of this is transferable, which I think is really cool. Um, maybe let's, just what does that mean? It's, it's a mouthful. Uh, maybe just start that. Let's get your definition so we understand what the context is before we dive in. Yeah, so I think within security, this this goes back to the standard nomenclature of like process excellence. Um, process excellence is just being efficient. But one of the things that I find often from security practitioners is we think in the siloed view with our blinders on around how to get something done for us. Well, we got to do this for clients. I don't care how it impacts anything. You must tokenize, encrypt everything. Good luck. And I've, I've seen it time and time again in my career where we start with a requirement. We start with compliance. And it really depends on the nature and the culture of the organization. Uh, But coming from like fintech, a lot of folks end up with this simple like, hey, you got to tokenize everything. Okay. Uh, And I I can refer back to one specific financial organization I was with. It was, hey, tokenize or you have to encrypt or you have to make this type of adjustment to ensure that this field is now secure at meeting PCI requirement. And from an engineering standpoint or an engineering manager standpoint, they would take in that information and they go, uh, well, I, we, you know, and it's like, um, you know, it, uh, I don't know what to do with that because, hey, you're telling us to take a numeric string 
and make it alphanumeric. And everyone's like, ooh, well, this talks to a mainframe at a third party and also our mainframe. So I don't know if we could do this. And then security gets stuck and they say, well, you must do it. Um, I've experienced that multiple times where you have a compliance engineer or an external auditor, and they're really pushing for the aspect of you must do this control, but then there's no context. So when I peel back, for me, when I think about deploying tools, technology, or establishing a new process, it's how do I take a step out of my view of like, what is that requirement? And I think of the end user, the person going through the change, or even the customer that's going to use the workflow that may never realize this is encrypted or tokenized. But for the engineer that has to deploy the change, what are we asking of them? How much time? How much time do we take to unpack and really determine this is a feasible ask? So taking a lot of that inspiration, to me, empathy, it really comes back to like, how quickly do you want to move to drive change? If you want your change to go quick, well, it's it's really easy to say, everyone do this and then walk away. But you don't know if it's going to get done. But if you make it easy to say, cool, like... I just rolled out updates to our annual policies and I needed everyone to sign off on our code of conduct and our acceptable use policy. Well, how do I do that in a like a seamless, easy way? I'm like, cool, we're, we're moving over to this new platform. Here's how the platform works. I'm dropping a communication in Slack. I'm dropping in an email, but I'm also making sure to frame it. I'm making sure this is going to be five minutes. This is the timeline you need to do it. But please understand, like, there's not a hard, crazy timeline. We do need to do this for SOC 2, but because we're out of our like heavy audit cycle, this is something that is less stressful. So we can bring down the timeline instead of like, you must do this tomorrow. Well, let's give everyone two weeks because you know what? We work in one-week sprints. This will give everyone two cycles. This will hit a lot of folks that are on PTO and vacation, which I can pull down from like our HRIS, our HR information system. And, and I can ultimately get a better sense of like, what's the likelihood of success? Because I want that change leadership, that change management to occur without disrupting all this workflow. If I say today, right now, Amir, you must go sign this thing. I don't know what your schedule is. I'm not going to check everyone's schedule for a hundred thousand person company. It's 10 of us. It's much easier. But when we think about scaling this up, that's where you start to have impact to the organization. Now, if I make this ask and there is a, you know, code freeze that happens midday today and everyone has to wait for this crazy new feature that's about to drop and change the game, I'm not going to ask today. If HR already has an ask to refresh information that's going on, I'm not going to conflate it. So we really need to think about, well, it's not just my ask either. If I'm asking for change, I have to think about everything else that's happening within our org, within reason, to try to do my best. So for me, that empathy piece really comes back to how thoughtful are you being when you're asking anyone to do anything in your organization? That's, I mean, that's really interesting. And maybe we can unpack some of that because, um, you know, I, th- I think there's a, a bit of, you know, I, I understand that component. Obviously, you want to understand, you know, the impact. Um, the larger the scale, obviously, the bigger the impact in terms of you know the number of people potentially, and it, it is harder to you know look at a hundred thousand person org and look at everyone's schedule, even a fifty, maybe on your team of five, you can manage that. But I guess when you're in, in your position, um, you know, you have the chief in front of a title or a VP or an SVP. All of a sudden, now you have different drivers, you have different pressures because someone above you has mandated something, or you yourself see organizationally something has to change. 
you've got to kind of balance the, well, I, I, I do have the timelines, I have the deadlines. I might have to speed people up to a certain degree. I might have to push. Like, how do you balance that, the business side of it? And obviously the empathy, I mean, you know, your team is comprised of humans with emotions and, you know, self-interest and, you know, self-schedules and obviously the good of the whole company as well. All these different factors. How do you balance how hard versus, you know, knowing I do need to give people that time? You know, I look at, you know, probably a standard one for everyone, which is computer-based training for information security practices. You probably hit it during onboarding. You hit it annually at some point just to make sure you refresh. Um, Just about every shop I've been in, we start with something. And something may not be great. Maybe it's homegrown. Oftentimes, we end up buying something off the shelf. And what I am usually in observation of is how much time or how much context are we asking? Uh, Some of the training vendors can just say, well, they should have this core set, and that's what you should do. Cool. Without knowing your organization, there's no real understanding to make that intelligent, informed decision. For me, before going and driving down that path, I would like to ultimately have that conversation of what is our threat model? What do we care about? What have we fallen victim to? What are the things that have really hurt us as an organization? And then I would reflect that back to the actual content itself. Part and parcel, I'm not going to ask everyone to do every module just because we paid for it. What if the modules are duplicate? What if it's like, here's a phishing, here's a smishing, here's a text scam, and you're just like, well, they're all kind of the same because phishing should cover some of the tech stuff because that's so prominent these days. So do I need all three? No, I probably just need the one. But even that one, do I need it on day one? On day one, do I need that heavy, like here's your 45 minutes of training or three hours of training, depending on how you do it. But I'd like to really compartmentalize and understand, well, if they're already onboarding, they're going through a lot of thrash already and retaining information is going to be tough. So if I ask too much of them, it's not going to land well. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show up for their onboarding training. I'm going to explain some fundamentals of security. I'm going to let everyone know that they have to go do this training. But if they don't take anything away, I want them to hear my voice to understand these are the three things I'd like you to do. Um, As you're scaling a company, I'm a big fan of showing up. So I show up to a lot of those trainings. Once you're at scale, it's very hard to just keep showing up every two weeks to these things. So think about like, can I embed a video? Can I do a Slack bot? And then when they join the company, I send this information to them. It's a personal touch. It's something, but it's better than assuming, hey, we're just going to give you all this training. We're going to send you our InfoSec policies and you got to read everything. And you're asking seven hours of someone when they join, when they got to learn how to do their actual job. So for me, that that contextualization of knowing how to go through the change and then right-sizing it, that also helps know that your team, your organization can get a better flavor of how much they actually need, which is not everything, right? Like you don't need the Cadillac every time. Absolutely. I, I guess when you maybe, maybe we can compare and con- contrast, you know, let's say a startup versus a bigger company. I think you, know, you kind of brought some references in, but a smaller company where process uh, is more fluid. I want to use that term. Why not? It's more fluid because obviously things move a lot faster. There's, you know, pressures to, you know, ship faster. Sales is making commitments to, to get more revenue in product, you know, and, and dev is responding in, in kind because obviously that's what's important. At some point you do have a security component. Um, and again, it could be, you know, not even security. It could be just, 
you know, process change and, and, and whatnot. But when you start incorporating that process in an environment where process is potentially more fluid, I don't want to say lacking, but more fluid, how do you start pushing that down? Cause you know, obviously now you're putting, I don't want to say you're slowing down people or you're putting shackles on people because you don't know the magnitude, but when you start looking at a smaller company, how do you balance that? Hey, I'm going to get people to follow this process I know they're busy. They're working 70 hour weeks because they're busy shipping, but I, I got to have this done. I'm doing that as we speak. You know, <laughs> I just, I just, I joined a company and we retained our SOC 2 amidst a lot of team changes. And we expanded our scope at the same time. But that also required me to roll out a lot of programs like vendor due diligence and working with our financial team to establish a real procurement program to ensure that vendor due diligence could be successful. Um, I think socialization is really key. And, and I think having your list of stakeholders and change agents and change deviants and then knowing what that change curve ultimately looks like, you're going to have champions. They're going to help you. You're going to have folks that are going to fight some change. But in the idea of iteration, there's everyone else in the middle of that band that I think will come along for the journey. But how, again, do you think about getting them that information? And if you're thrashing your process and iterating it every two weeks, look, for security, I, I think you're doing it wrong. I think you have to be very cognizant of how many touches you ask to take on a process. Um at most, twice in the six-month period, unless it's a really hard requirement of like, hey, we just got an audit finding or a customer requirement just came in and we need to retain this. Not the way I like to do things, but I need help to get this done. Versus, hey, we've just refreshed our information security policy. It's okay if there's a little bit of lag time in between when I ask people to sign off on this new one versus refreshing the old one and moving to a new system to make it better. I'll accept that risk of saying, hey, let's leave it in our old way for a little bit longer. And then it's just going to be better once we get this new system of record in place for sign-off because I'm no longer asking them to go through 10 clicks. In fact, it's it's single sign-on right into this click, right into this document, accept and you're done. And then you create workflow for that too. So I really think about intentional process development too. Like, am I intentionally giving it at the right time Am I thoughtfully thinking about it because I've been through it and I'm working through what the experience is going to be like? And ultimately, the outcome should be the completion rates. Then how many people do I actually have to hunt down to say, you must do this thing? The flip side to that, carrot culture or actually rewarding good behavior is a big part of it too. So uh, I'm not going to say every time. A good portion of the time, if there's a, a driver of stress or duress, like we, we need to get something done as soon as humanly possible, Gamifying it helps a lot too. Hey, the first 10 people, you get this. The first 20 people, uh, random, get this. Like, you know, but if it's the stragglers, the last ones, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's not really the stick, but it's more just the fact that, hey, we're one team. This needs to be done. Let's just get this last piece done and it'll be fine. I am not a big fan of the escalation, but um, I think back to the, like the titling thing, you should not abuse that as well. Uh, for me, I, I evidence by doing a lot in that way. It's it's a little bit confusing because I will announce it and I'll follow up on the things. Say, please sign up on this policy. You, you know what's interesting? Um, and, and you 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 brought, talked about intentional process development. Um, and maybe you could touch on for that intentional process development to be successful. 
how much legwork do you have to do, right? How much, how much roadmap do you have to figure out? How much of the heavy lifting do you have to do so that when you're implementing a new process, it can be absorbed and you understand different, pro- you know, you understand the existing processes as well as understanding, you know, again, back to the empathy, understanding the impact of people, like how much of that heavy lifting is on your shoulders? I'm assuming a lot, but you know, how do you go through that process? It depends, but I think what's always important as part of change management is understanding current state. So if you can document what that current state is, um, you know, I, I think there are different times in my career where literally you would lay out a process map. I start here, I end here, and it's off the screen, right? And then what I'd really like to do is start here and end here. It's a little bit shorter. And what we're trying to do is lean out a process. I think there's a lot to be taken from Six Sigma, but to me, that's an overextension. I think if you, if you really focus on the individual, the personas, well, I'd probably take that list of things that I want to get done. I'd get that process map. Here's where we're at. Here's where I'd like to be. Right now, it's a spider chart of chaos. And I just want to make it three steps to sign up on this policy. And before I do that, I'm going to let the people managers know. I'll let some of the VPs know in certain forms. But I want to get quorum. I want to make sure that it's not a surprise. So by not making it a surprise, by having your stakeholders bought in, when we talk about that paradigm shift of like who's your change leader versus your change stragglers or your detractors, we we really need to be intentional about who we're bringing along for the journey and then who we know we'll have to bring along the the finish line a little bit more with the handholding. And I think as you read people in and they're part of that build and that change, they will naturally, instinctively want to see us win because that's the goal. As a security practitioner, let's not forget, these aren't actually my goals. And I communicate this a lot. It is an organizational commitment to security, to compliance, to our customers. And when I hear someone say, I'm sorry, I didn't do that. I apologize to you. I would, this has been past 10 years at least. I'm like, you do not need to apologize to me. Think about our customers. Like that's who you can apologize to because if we do not do this thing, if you do not lock your computer consistently, it's the apology that that is an exception on our SOC 2 report that is noted in potentially an issue that comes up later. I, as an individual, I this is what I'm here to do and help. But personally, you don't need to apologize to me. Like I, I don't care to that level. I'm very empathetic towards you. I'm just not as sympathetic towards that topic. And I, I think it's it's interesting when you give context to folks of that. It's like, Look, just because you didn't do something means nothing. Like, I, it's not that I dislike you, but if you're consistently the person that does not do these changes, then that's a flag to me. But if one time you're like, hey, I was on vacation and I didn't see this, we're human. And let's not forget that. But outside of being an individual human, we're the same team. And if this business does not make money, security has nothing to protect. I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's some great insight. I think, you know, a couple of things that you mentioned there, we could, You'll probably unpack a little bit further, but I want to touch on one thing because I, I think when you talk about process, you know, you've talked about empathy, um, and I think everything you said lines up. I guess the one thing I was going to ask you was, you're going to look to leave at some point. Um, the journey's never done for anything. Like it could be HR, it could be security, it could be dev, it could be product. It's never done. That handoff to the next person is always a you know, interesting art because, you know, it's always just 
typically could be really done quickly. Typically could be done, you know, uh, not thoroughly. A lot of those things, when you're looking at what you've talked about and and you've built intentionality in terms of process development and you're looking to hand off, right? You know, one day you decide I'm not going to be a Vercel. I'm leaving to pass this baton on. What at a minimum are you hoping to be able to give to somebody go, Hey, listen, you, you take over from here. I feel pretty confident. Like what, what would that be for you? I think that empathy actually is in when I'm developing the change because I'm thinking about not being here. And it's not in a negative way. I actually ask my team a lot, um, which is no different than my, my peer CISOs that are running their compliance programs. You may do you know, your SOC 2 this year, your ISO review, your HIPAA audit, your PCI assessment. But did you do enough to just get it done? Or can you yourself bring in a new human that could just come in and do the architect world of like, where is everything? Where are the blueprints? Where are the documents? How did this get done last year? But I want to make sure not everything's going to be perfect. I'll be honest with you, not everything has to be perfect. But when it comes to very significant projects or, hey, this is why we chose insert name of anti-malware agent. Here's how we deployed it. I should have traceability. I'm not going to say auditability. Uh, I know my auditor friends would always push me to be like, can this be audited? I'm like, ah, I want traceability. I want folks to understand the logic of why we did something. Because when I'm not here, we need to understand that. Because it could be, I got sick. I got hit by a bus. I got this. That's back to resiliency. That's a different conversation to me. But as I'm intentional about driving that change, I'm already thinking about if I'm not here, can this get done? Can this still work? Can someone actually pick it up? And I look back to a lot of the programs that I've built. Now, is everything perfect? The answer is no. But have I set up enough individuals for success? So if I'm leaving my role, unless I'm getting canned, right? Unless I'm like, hey, CISO, you effed it up. Get out of here. Unless that happens, it's for me, I would have that conversation just like my last job with the leadership, starting with my boss, which is the CEO, and then saying, here's where I'm at. Here's my thought process. I'm thinking six months to transition. I'm going to help you find the replacement. I will train this person, but this is what I expect in doing so. And if that's not something you can come to a mutual agreement, that's fine. But I think it is our job to make those things smooth. And I don't think it's pure play on security leaders. I think this is all leaders, all managers, all folks that want to see the thing that they worked on with passion, blood, sweat, and tears to be successful when they're gone, especially a startup. And if you buy your options and you cut and run, to me, this is like one of the sadder things. When people like do all this hard work for four years and they're like, I burn out, I'm tired, I'm out. And they don't transition well. They burn the bridge, but then they buy their options, but they've not given that opportunity for their options to be successful, especially like I'm the single point of failure. Good day. It would make more sense to me that if you're truly long-term invested in anything, to see that transition successful. So that, that, that's really the way I look at it, is making sure you're setting up your future self, your future direct report, or the future of whatever it may need to be to have information for traceability. I think that's, you know, I think, I think everything you talked about, you know, has gone into understanding the impact of that change. And I think, you know, to, to kind of wrap it up, you're talking about actually the, the next person you're thinking that far ahead, making sure they're set up for success. And I think everyone does try to do that. But again, you know, I think it, 
as, as a little, with a little bit more intentionality, um, I, I think obviously things flush out and you, you think through some of the, uh, Hey, somebody else has to come pick this up and, um, somebody has to ramp them up. <laughs> you might not be there. Um, I was going to ask you, um, it's been a kind of a question I've been asking all, all our guests. And I think it's been an uh, interesting conversation. Um, if, if you could ask a future guest, um, you know, to answer a question or to cover a topic, uh, again, talking a lot about management stuff, what would you hope somebody could uh, respond to? Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, what would I want to hear answered or what's like emerging and important to me? I, I think one of the things that, that, is interesting is now that we're emerging back into society, we actually have to manage a whole new set of risk, which is employee comfort. Um, let's talk about Black Hat DEFCON. Let's talk about security meetups. Like we have a new factor of what was not there before. And even during the pandemic times, we went from like, ah, this in-person culture for a lot of places to, okay, everyone's working from home and we kind of want people to come back, but we can't do it because we don't know if they're comfortable. And now we're emerging back, but everyone has evolved. How do we think about that evolution and ensuring like this, again, back to change management as leaders, how do you make sure that your, your team is brought along for that journey, that they're comfortable? Because I'll be honest with you, going back in person takes a lot of energy. Traveling and doing all these other things that maybe you lost that muscle takes a lot of energy. How are you going to ensure balance as we go through this next change curve? So that, that would be my, my question is like, how are we thinking about as we start swinging back to whatever the new world looks like again how do we bring people along for that journey that's pretty that's awesome i, I like it i hope someone um who has uh, started down that journey will hear and and reach out and want to want to be on because i think i think this is going to be the biggest question to be answered over the next however many months years because you're right i mean we're all so comfortable in sitting in front of a zoom and not having a commute and not having to uh go get dry cleaning anymore all that extra stuff i mean it's something that uh we've all gotten so used to for two years and 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 the change is hard so that's a great one hopefully uh, someone will address that um what's a good way if somebody wants to touch base with you you know, on anything you've mentioned on the podcast at all, what's a good way of getting a hold of you? Yeah, just hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I say this often, like I, I do a lot of DMs there. Um, you know, when reaching out to connect, please do it with intent. Uh, if there's certain titles, I'm not always as quick to just say accept. Uh, but other than that, I am on Twitter. I just absolutely am not good with Twitter. Uh, I just <laughs> think it's a, a different style of communication I'm learning, but. Uh, it's not a muscle I have. I would put it that way. But LinkedIn, my first name, last name, T Y S B A N O, and you can find me on there. Awesome. Well, I mean, I appreciate your time. Thank you for uh, coming on. I think it's uh, again. I think your your the topic is very unique. I know you're a security exec, and that's where you've spent your time. I think it's very transferable. So thank you for coming on and sharing. Thanks, Amir. Really appreciate you having me, and I love uh, kind of hashing on these topics. Awesome. awesome. Absolutely. That's it for this episode. We'll be back again. Different guests, different topic. Um, two things I asked for. One, if you or you know someone that can address uh, Ty's question, I think it's a it's a great one. I'd love to have uh, you on or, or someone you know on because I, I really think this is emerging for a lot of people. And the more we talk about it, it might uh, might be good. Uh, and secondly, 
the, the podcast grows organically and um, everyone who shares it every week, um, our audience keeps growing. If you found this useful, send it to someone else. Um, hopefully they'll find it useful and that's how we keep growing. I appreciate that. Uh, that's it for now. I'll be back again. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>